Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today. Uh, this is part two on Proverbs of Peace. And this is a ministry of Hickory Ridge Community Church. And I want to thank all of you who listen. And I know we even have people listening through the podcast on in Moyoc, North Carolina. I met a couple people that listened to the broadcast and even came by uh, to see us at church on Sunday. So thank you so much for stopping by. And uh, if you'd like to worship with us on Sunday, we meet at the Hickory Ridge Community Church, 9 or 1045. I'd love to see you one Sunday morning. We have programs for your children. We have a youth Sunday school class that is at our 1045 service. So come on and worship with us. And uh, when I meet you, let me know that you hear us on the radio broadcast. And uh, I'd love to say hello to you. Thank you so much for being part of this broadcast. And thank you so much for tuning in. Well, as we look at the Proverbs of Peace, I went through the book of Proverbs and I found there are eight times that that word peace is found in the book of Proverbs. And so yesterday we talked about how to have peace with God, how to have peace with others, how to have peace with ourselves. And we realized that I can only have peace with God when I receive his forgiveness. Romans 5.1, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I have peace with God when I receive forgiveness. I don't have to work for it. I don't have to earn it. It is a gift that is given to me. I just got to request it. Number two, we talked about peace with others. Now, this one's a little more difficult because if we're going to have peace with others, we must release them of their offenses. Paul was very clear. He says, don't repay anybody evil for evil. Now, uh, we tend to do that, don't we? Uh, That is our natural default position, right? You do me, I do you back. Paul says, don't do that. Don't repay anybody evil for evil, but carefully consider what is the right of the eyes of everybody. In other words, How would somebody else want to be treated? Do you really want somebody getting you back when you get them? Do you really want somebody paying you back for every evil that you've done? I don't think so. Do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, live at peace with everyone. You see, we don't have peace with God. And when we don't have peace with God, we can't have peace with others. It impacts our fellowship with others. So if we hang on to an offense that God has already forgiven, we are losing God's peace. So as much as is possible, on my part, I want to live at peace with everyone. And I do that by releasing them, forgiving them of their offenses, just as I have been forgiven of my offenses. And then to have peace with self. It seems like this was kind of hard too, right? Because we seem so unsettled. Well, maybe that's where you are today. Maybe you're just driving down the road and you say, you know what? I am so disappointed with myself. I am so overcome with guilt in my life. I can't believe the things I'm doing. I can't believe the life I'm living. I can't believe my life has ended up the way I am today. I want to give you some hope. Repent. What is repentance? Repentance is agreeing with God what he already knows about you. It is thinking like God. It is a change of your mind. No longer thinking like I want to think, but I think like God thinks. Repent of evil. And then I request God to give me that peace. I turn from that evil, and then I seek peace, and I pursue it. And then Paul tells us that I'm not to be anxious about anything. I'm to instead pray. You know, if there's a problem that is big enough to bug you, it's big enough to pray about it. If it's small enough to bug you, it's small enough to pray about it. Pray in all situations with thanksgiving. 
oh, that's the last key to having peace. I repent of the evil that resides within me. I ask the Lord to give me peace that passes all understanding. And then I replace that anxiety with thanksgiving. And then we see that the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, my circumstances may not change, but what happens within me changes. I am at peace with myself. Well, let's look at the book of Proverbs. I love the book of Proverbs. And as we look at the book of Proverbs, I'm calling them the Proverbs of Peace. Now, peace can be experienced according to the book of Proverbs. We're going to look at them one at a time. Peace is experienced when I, number one, treasure God's word. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. My son, don't forget my teachings, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years, and they will bring you peace and prosperity. Now, as I look at this passage, I see that the reminder by Solomon, remember Solomon's name means peace. He says, I want my son to remember my teachings, and then I want him to keep the commands. So there's two parts here. As you treasure God's word, you will have peace. You treasure God's word by remembering what the Bible teaches us and then doing what the Bible teaches us. That's what that phrase Don't forget my teachings. Keep my commandments in your heart. They're going to prolong your life many years and brings you two things, peace and prosperity. Now, Isaiah knew this concept, and he says that God keeps us in perfect peace if our minds are steadfast on him because they trust in you. Isaiah agrees with Solomon when he says, if I want peace in my life, I've got to know the teachings of God's word, and I've got to follow the commands of God's word. Now, Jesus spends a lot of time looking at this subject in John 16, and he says, I have said these things so that in me you will have peace. What is Jesus talking about? I have said these things. He's talking about the word. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus, as he's teaching his disciples, and as he's teaching us, he says, I'm teaching you these things, found in the gospels, so that you will have peace. David understood this concept. David said, your word have I treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. I'm going to trust the unchangeable word of God. And when I treasure God's word, that is how I have victory over sin. You know, there's so many things in life that you can't count on, but there's one thing that you can. You can count on God's word. You see, trust in God's word is this unchangeable peace that you will experience. You know, I think about ordinary ways in which we treasure God's word. It's one way. Preach the word, right? Second Timothy tells us to preach the word of God, to be instant in season and to be out of season. I hope that you're part of a church that preaches the word of God. As I was looking over this message at the end of one of the services not too long ago, I had one of my members say, hey, pastor, I actually counted up how many times you either quoted the Bible or how many Bible verses that you use, and I came up with over 30 verses that you use in about a 30-minute sermon. Uh, As I looked at this message today, there's over 50 verses that are involved in today's message, and not only is it to be preached, but it's to be read. Number two, uh, I treasure God's Word as I proclaim it, but I treasure it as I read it, right? That public reading of the sacred writings. Read the scripture publicly. Read it privately. Read the word of God. 
It will make you wise unto salvation. That's where we find the power of God's Word. There's another way that we can treasure God's Word, not only preaching it, not only reading it, but how about singing it? Singing God's Word. Thy Word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto the path. You know there's actually a song that goes along with that, Psalm 119? And I would sing it to you, uh, but you'd probably turn the radio station if I started singing. So I'm not going to sing it to you, but you know I sing a lot in the shower. Yeah, yeah, that's when I do my best singing. I I like to sing at church, too. Because when in a congregation of people and everybody's singing, my bad voice is drowned out by the good voices. Sing the Word of God. Now, there's another way that we can treasure God's Word. How about praying the Word? That's what we learn in Ephesians 6.18 is a prayer that we give as we're putting on the armor of God. He says, above all, praying, right? How about if we get involved in seeing the Word? That is by putting a mental picture to the Word of God. For example, the sacraments of baptism, right? When I see somebody get baptized, I am reminded of what the Word says about the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's actually a statement of faith. And same as the Lord's Supper, right? I see the Lord's Supper as I take that wafer, that unleavened wafer. I'm reminded of the broken body of Christ. When I take that Welch's grape juice, I'm reminded of the blood that Jesus shed on my behalf. This is one of the ways I can treasure God's Word. You know, there's another way that you treasure God's Word. Not only preaching it, not only reading it, and not only singing it, not only praying it, but you can also see it by a word picture, but you can also treasure God's Word. As you realize, you can support the Word of God. A church that treasures God's Word will be a church that regularly encounters God's Word and regularly encounters God himself. As we support the word, we do it through the giving of our tithes and our offerings to allow the word of God to spread throughout the world. You know, just two weeks ago, we had our missionary from Costa Rica come. We've been supporting this missionary, Lamar Sally, for many, many years, probably 15 or 16 years. We have been supporting his ministry. You know what we're doing? We're treasuring God's word as we support him, and he takes God's word to those who live in Costa Rica. Unbelievable opportunity that God has given us. So here's the first point. If I want to have peace, I must treasure God's word. Number two. I must walk in wisdom. Now we're at Proverbs chapter 3. This is the second time we see a focus on peace. And Solomon says, Blessed are those who find peace, those who gain understanding. For she is more profitable than silver, and she yields better returns than gold. She is more precious than rubies. Nothing you desire can compare with her. Long life is in her right hand, and her left hand are the riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant ways, and all of her paths are peace. She is a tree of life to those who take hold of her. Those who hold her fast will be blessed. Now, as I'm reading this, uh, one of the questions I had of this passage is, why is wisdom referred to as a she? She is more precious. He who finds wisdom, uh, she and her ways are pleasant. Her paths are peace. I think I found out why. Now, guys, as you listen to this message, you got to listen to your wife, right? Because she's smarter than you. 
and she probably has more wisdom than you do. And the Bible refers to wisdom uh, in the feminine pronoun. So guys, listen to your wife, right? They have so much wisdom and insight uh, that they can give to us. And so if we are going to be people of peace, we have got to walk in wisdom. Uh, You know, the wisdom that comes from above is, first of all, pure, then peaceable. That's what James 3.17 says. It's gentle, it's reasonable, it's full of mercy, good fruits, without partiality, without hypocrisy. So I want to encourage you, when it comes to this matter of wisdom, wisdom is something that doesn't change. That which lives forever, that which can be strong when things go wrong, and that which will never fail me, never leave me, never disappoint me. That's wisdom. Why do I say that of wisdom? Because the giver of wisdom is God himself. The giver of wisdom is like the tree of life. For those who take hold of it, you will be blessed. Now that phrase, the tree of life, that is found in the book of Genesis. That little phrase, the tree of life in heaven, there's a tree of life. The tree of life is the giver of wisdom. Now, if Adam and Eve, when they were being tempted to partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, if they had taken of the tree of life, the temptation would have been over. You know, God didn't design that temptation to be an ongoing, forever temptation in the life of Adam and Eve. God says you can partake of every tree of the Garden of Eden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If they had taken of the tree of life, the test would have been over. But they decided to take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they failed the test. You know, that tree of life had to be transplanted. They had to close off the Garden of Eden. It was protected so they couldn't go back in there. Why? Because God knew that they would take of that tree of life. So God transplanted that tree of life to heaven, and that's where it is today. We understand that wisdom leads to the path of peace. So we've learned two things from the book of Proverbs so far. We've learned if we're going to be living in peace, number one, we must treasure God's word. Number two, we must walk in wisdom. Number three, we got to live with integrity. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 20. Deceit is in the hearts of those who plot evil but those who promote peace have joy. So a peaceful life is an honest life. Avoiding evil, not plotting evil, not dwelling on evil, but instead promoting joy. And with that joy, we find peace. You know, in Christianity, God is both a God of love and a God of justice. Now, many people struggle with this, right? They believe that a loving God can't be a judging God. Like most other Christian ministers in our society, I have been asked literally hundreds of times, how can a God of love also be a God filled with wrath and anger? I mean, if he is loving and if he is perfect, he should forgive and accept everyone. He shouldn't get angry. Well, I always start my response by pointing out that all loving persons are sometimes filled with wrath. Not just despite of that, but because of their love. That love drives them to have a hatred for certain things. You know, if you love a person and you see someone ruining that person, or if you see that person even ruining them themselves, you get angry. As Becky 
Pippert writes in her book, Hope Has Its Reasons, she says this, Think how we feel when we see someone we love ravished by unwise actions or unwise relationships. Do we respond with a benign tolerance as we might think towards strangers? Far from it. Anger isn't the opposite of love. Hate is. The final form of hate is indifference. God's wrath is not a cranky explosion, but is unsettled opposition to the cancer, which is eating out the inside of the human race that he loves with his entire being. You see, the Bible says that God's wrath flows from his love, and he delights in his creation. He is angry at evil and injustice because it is destroying the peace that we have, and it's destroying our integrity. Listen, if you want to have the peace of God that transcends all understanding, you must live with integrity. Number four, we've learned so far that you've got to treasure God's word. You've got to, you've got to walk in wisdom, and you've got to live with integrity. Number four, if you want to have peace, you've got to give instead of take. In other words, you've got to eliminate envy. Proverbs 14.30 says this, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. You see, we give what we most have inside. Why are some people constantly stirring up strife? Because strife is within them. Because that is what they're all about. They don't have a heart of peace, but they have a heart of envy and anxiety. You know, the gospel is called the gospel of peace. If you are one who is constantly gravitating toward stirring up a dissension and and you, you, you don't have that peace, but you're always stirring up strife, it may be because you've never experienced the gospel of peace. You have resisted and rejected the gospel of peace, and that's why you're living in strife. And so you're giving something that's inside of you. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Number five, I will have peace when God is pleased with me. Proverbs 16, 7 says, When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's ways, he causes even his enemies to make peace with them. Here's something interesting. When I do right, God's peace pursues me. I don't have to search for it. It finds me. When the Lord takes pleasure in me, I am at peace. Not because my life is all together, but because God is putting me back together. I'm forgiven, and I live at peace with him. He said, wow, this is great, but as we look at where our world is today, why is it that so few people experience God's peace? Is God not pleased with most people? Well, I would say most people, he's probably not, but I'm looking about believers. In Isaiah 9, 6, it talks about, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, And the government shall be on his shoulders, and he shall be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. You see, Isaiah wrote that 700 plus years before Christ's 
was born, and when Christ was born, where is that peace? Well, I think as you look at the peace that we're talking about, so many people misunderstand the fact that when Jesus came, although he was called the Prince of Peace, he didn't come to bring the peace that we were expecting. Let's look back at Luke chapter 2. And let's look at the kind of peace that Christ wanted to bring. Luke chapter 2 is a very familiar passage of Scripture that we always read around Christmas. And, and maybe the most popular part of Luke chapter 2 is verses 10 through 14, where the angel says to the shepherds, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You're going to find that baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And then suddenly there was a a great company of heavenly hosts that appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now the NIV gets it right by adding that phrase, on whom his favor rests. Some translations have dropped that altogether, and they just go, and on earth and peace to all. But it's to all whom his favor rests. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and to restore our kingdom? I mean, it was so prevalent The book of Acts begins by asking that question, Acts 1.6. You see, even the early apostles missed this concept of peace. When are they going to be free? When is Israel going to be free from the tyranny of this Roman Empire? When is the kingdom going to be restored, they were asking. They missed the point. When Jesus came to bring peace, he wasn't talking about political peace. As a matter of fact, here are some verses that maybe will help to bring clarity on this matter. In Luke chapter 21, we see uh, that Jesus is warning his disciples, and he says to them, watch out that you're not deceived. You see, many are going to come in my name, he says, claiming that I am he, and the time is near. Jesus says, don't follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, don't be frightened. These things must happen first but the end will not come right away. Then he said, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be great earthquakes and famines and pestilence in various places and fearful events and great signs from heaven. Now, as we look at this passage, Jesus is telling the disciples, listen, there's going to be uprisings because not everyone wants to receive the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this was a good warning. As a matter of fact, tradition holds that on September 22nd, 286, right? This is less than 300 years after Jesus was on the earth. September 22nd, 286, a legion of Christian soldiers, more than 6,000 of them, were killed on that day, September 22nd, for choosing faithfulness to Jesus over obedience to Caesar. Now, remember what Jesus said. Render unto Caesar that which belongs to Caesar. In other words, pay your taxes, but render unto God what belongs to God. You see, Jesus is Lord, Caesar is not. So the early believers refused 
to acknowledge Caesar as Lord. And as a result, there was a major persecution. As a matter of fact, the legion held from that area of Thebes and Egypt was fiercely loyal to the Roman emperors. And we're talking about the Christian soldiers. They were fiercely loyal to Diocletian and his co-ruler, Maximum. But unfortunately, they could not cause that loyalty to cause Caesar as Lord. By this point in history, Christianity had grown quite a bit, and Diocletian came to view this faith as a threat to his rule, and as such, he began to persecute Christians in what would have been known as the Age of the Martyrs. You see, the primary way that he distinguished those loyal to him and those loyal to Jesus was requiring all Romans to pledge their allegiance to Caesar as Lord. You see, this picture played a key role during this time of persecution. You see, Jesus didn't promise to bring peace among the nations. It was peace with him. Well, I've got more to say on this subject, so uh, we're going to have to extend this into a third day. So please join me tomorrow as we look at the Proverbs of Peace, eight Proverbs of Peace that will allow you to have peace in the midst of a chaotic time that we're living in our world today. Thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ, there is always hope for your heart.